So you're interested in it as like a problem set almost. Yeah. It's the same reason that, that the analog types are always kind of attracted to how can I solve this? How can I fix this? And there's really no silver bullet. It's a hard problem to crack. There's 7,000 people with opinions that you have no idea what they are. It's What's the Point from 538. My name is Jody Abergan. This week, the What's the Point Oscars extravaganza. My colleague, Walt Hickey, who's been a guest on this show a number of times, has made the Oscars his obsession recently, and now it's finally time this upcoming Sunday to see if his efforts have paid off. And also coming up, the first time in What's the Point history, the part I'm most excited for, a little mini debate within the show. We found two people, one who says he can predict the Oscars with data and one who thinks that's total BS, and we're going to have them debate each other on the program. That's coming up in a bit, but first, as always, a number that caught our eye this week, it's the significant digit. Can I, can I tell you a number? Okay. So the number is uh, 0.011, which is the number of seconds, 0.011 seconds, by which the winner of the Daytona 500 won this past week, Denny Hamlin. 0.011 seconds. Wow. That, yeah, that's a number. Can you count to 0.011 seconds? No. no. <laughs> I would have to imagine with lasers or something, with light. I mean, something, of, something fast. <laughs> I agree, something fast. So we know that 0.011 of a second is fast, but to get a little more of a sense of just how fast and dig into this number some more is uh, Neil Payne is with us, sports writer for 538, panelist on our sports podcast, Hot Takedown, and racing enthusiast, is that right? Uh, you know, in my younger days, I used to be a bit of a NASCAR enthusiast. And certainly in the last 24 hours researching this, you've become a bit more of an <laughs> Rekindled my love. Can you confirm that 0.011 of a second is a very short amount of time uh yes I, I can say that it takes about four feet for one of these uh stock cars to travel that distance and that's the margin by which the daytona 500 was one on Sunday. oh so that's interesting right so you could you could phrase it at point oh one one of a second and and i think it's most people are like whoa but then if you say four feet it's not that much like you can see the difference in four feet between the front of one car and the front of another i guess right yeah and it actually wasn't the closest finish there have been finishes that were inside of a foot in the past and those took like 0.002 seconds or something i think that's the record so how do they measure this i mean like okay so like i would trust like nasa or like some physics department at a large research institution to be able to measure 0.00 whatever one of a second but does NASCAR have that technology? Definitely now they do. Uh, and so you'll see this. Uh, they know where every car is at any given point on the track. Like when you're watching one of the races, they'll have these floating bubbles that sort of follow each car around and show you where they are. And that kind of also extends to uh, the finishes of races. They have these transponders in every car and they can tell you the exact moment in time in which they cross certain fixed checkpoints like the, the finish line. I mean, so that seems like a pretty advanced technology. Is this how it's 
always been? No, not not really. So before 1993, they sort of did everything by hand. They had uh, a bunch of spotters actually in the in the stands watching every race, and they would have them at like regular intervals. And these people would be responsible for whenever you know the lead lap uh, crossed in front of them in like a fixed location. They would have a stopwatch and they would tick off the the time. And then every ten laps, someone would kind of come around and collect the information. So that these they people had done. weren't allowed to like have beer or popcorn because if they get I would distracted and their car passes by <laughs> yeah yeah and, and there have been like uh there were snafus in which you know people got mixed up and confused and and there were uh discrepancies over you know who was in a certain order and these things matter because in nascar you get points for finishing in a certain you know uh, place and position uh in the race and also for the number of laps you've led things like that so uh there, it was kind of a primitive method before 1993 and then in 1993 they introduced actual full electronic scoring in which they, you know, had transponders and they had certain, you know, mechanisms to get these very uh, exact timing measures down. Um, all right, Neil Payne, I will say that Hot Takedown, this is one of your topics this week, so you really dug into this and kind of the whole world of NASCAR analytics. Yeah, right? we even had a guest on, uh, an expert, someone who runs a, a site devoted to NASCAR analytics to, to come on and talk. So we encourage people to go check that out on Hot Takedown, but Neil, thank you very much. Thanks, Jody. All right, Walt Hickey, you have been immersed in Oscars and Oscar data sets, and you're here to talk about it. And in a minute, we're going to have you host a debate between two people on different sides of this question of whether you can predict the Oscars. But let's set the context first. Walt, welcome back to What's the Point? Thank you for having me on. Okay, so this is a question that comes up with a lot of the work we do. I think you can ask it of almost all the work we do, which is like, why do we even care about predicting this stuff, especially with the Oscars? Like, why not just wait a couple days and watch it and enjoy? Um, because we are incapable of doing that emotionally. Uh, no, it is um, the Oscars are like the second most watched thing in America every single year. They're by far one of the most interesting events. It's it's the single top event for one of the most interesting industries that we have out there. It, it's cool, right? And so whenever we see cool stuff, we always try to figure cool stuff out. And with the Oscars, it's so fun because nobody's really solved it yet. Um, there are ways to kind of try to predict them. People have been trying to give their picks for a long time, whether they're critics, whether they're modelers, whether they're actual people who are within the industry so you're interested in it as like a problem set almost yeah no i mean like everest looks pretty it's cool and a lot of people watch it but you gotta climb it right like it's a fun one it's it's a notoriously difficult problem it's the same reason that that the analytic types are always kind of attracted to how can i solve this how can i fix this and there's really no silver bullet it's a hard problem to crack there's seven thousand people with opinions that you have no idea what they are yeah, and actually, as you were as you're saying that, it also makes me think of politics. I mean, I sometimes think about this too, and I maybe I shouldn't admit this as you know someone who works at Five Thirty Eight and as the host of our politics podcast. But I also feel like, why do we obsess with all this poll aggregation and trying to predict when we should just wait and let the vote happen and then do the analysis? But I think get out. Yeah, I know. Get seriously. out right now. <laughs> yeah, let's hope, hope, hopefully <laughs> Nate won't hear this part. But but no. But I think part of it for both of these is yeah. that in both. Politics, especially primary politics, but in all of our politics because of the way that our system is set up and in Hollywood with the Oscars, it's actually a very privileged few who get to make these fairly consequential decisions. And so for, quote unquote, the rest of us in 
your case, everyone who's not a member of the academy, but then in politics, you know, everyone who doesn't live basically in like a swing state or yeah. one of these like because of our electoral college system, these few chosen places, it's a, almost like a way to feel invested and a way to almost have like a sense of control by trying to predict and feeling like, okay, well, at least I can be part of this process in some way. Exactly. Like, I mean, we all kind of crave information, right? Like that's what, what, like that's a thing that our species does, right? And I mean, like I live in Queens, but I still really care what's going on in Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada. But uh, when it comes to the Oscars, it's just like, it's a really, really fun kind of thing. Everybody kind of talks about a lot of the films involved. It's a tricky problem to solve. And, and anybody who kind of has a little bit more insight on on that it's always just kind of fun to hang out with them so i think this year in particular the conversation around the oscars is hitting upon the insularity of it but in a lot of sort of like bigger ways so obviously with regards to gender and especially this year race we're seeing that the oscars is just really white so does data give us a promise of being able to like crack that problem or understand the roots of that problem or anything? Yeah, it's actually really cool because data has been a little bit ahead of the curve on this. You've had me on your show previously talking about like some of the research being done into both gender on screen and race on screen. And, and the data I appreciate has been shared... plugging back episodes. Now people can. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so make sure to hit those up. <laughs> um, I'm not going to tell you which one. So be sure to listen to all of them. Now, um, it's a there's a lot of research being done. One group in particular, the media diversity. And Social Change Initiative at the University of Southern California, Annenberg. Wow. <sighs> yeah, I know. Uh, they uh, they actually categorize every single speaking character in the top 100 movies each year. They've been doing it for about six years now. And they've found pretty decisively, like, there are, like, insufficient women on screen and there's insufficient minorities on screen. And that's a problem. And, and it's a pipeline problem. It starts at, like, if you're not getting the role cast as being guy in restaurant, then you're not going to be able to get the role as a supporting character. You're not going to be able to get mm -hmm. the acting role. And then you're not going to be able to get nominated for lead actor. So this, this year, it feels like not even that. This year, it feels like a lot of people who had done all of the work yeah. to earn a nomination just got still left out. And I think it, like the, the primary example that, that folks are referring to is like Idris Elba did fantastic work in Beast of No Nation uh, and, and did not get nominated for – Best Supporting Actor. However, he won the Screen Actors Guild Award, which historically is the most predictive for Best Supporting right. Actor, uh, which both devastates our own model and also really kind of shines a light on like, yeah, there are some problems when it comes to who the Academy picks and how, whether that's a reflection of, of who the Academy is or, or how the Academy is, is advertised to. That's a different question entirely, but uh, the Academy has some problems. And I think we have a sort of healthy stance <laughs> towards there should be transparency in most things yeah. around data. It makes data easier. And this is very much a place where we don't have the numbers and I and I think that it probably actually plays into a lot of the, the problems with Hollywood there just isn't enough sunlight uh, so it makes it hard for data people but it also makes it harder to sort of get your head around some of the uh, baked in inequities well how they actually vote on best picture uh, it's instant recall voting essentially so the idea is I submit a ballot and I rank the films and the idea is that the first film to break a certain threshold is the one that wins now there's people who want to do this by the way for like presidential elections. Oh, yeah. Too. Australia yeah. does it. Yeah. And Australia has a pretty fun time of it, I'd say. Um, but it is actually a very legit way of doing it. But the idea being, like, if I submit a ballot and, uh, None of the – on the first ballot, nobody wins. But my winner was, let's say, Brooklyn. Brooklyn's not very favored this year. So what it'll do, it'll it'll take my ballot. It'll cross Brooklyn off number one. It'll take my ballot and it'll take the number two vote and put it in that pile. And then you repeat this process until you finally get a majority winner. Mm -hmm. So when you look at a race like this one where it's like a pretty much a three-way race, right? You've got the big short. You've got spotlight. And then at the top, you've got the revenant. There's a possibility if everyone who prefers spotlight, their second vote goes to um, the big short and everyone who likes the big short 
sure what their second second vote gets to spotlight, the consensus winner could end up being that. And that's something that we kind of struggle with when it comes to modeling when it comes to this. So there's a lot and of insular nature of this in addition to the weird kind of voting nature that goes into it. So on that model question – do you think that's a fairer way to pick a winner? Oh, absolutely. Voting structure? Yeah. Uh, the way that they – it's only for best picture. It's not for best actor or any of that kind of thing. That's just kind of majority rules, uh, plurality rules. But with best picture, what they really want to obtain, it was they want to pick a film that's going to be iconic for years. They don't want you to look back 20 years from now and say, what on earth was that? So – the idea is that if they find the consensus pick and if they find the one that most people agree was rather good, that'll be the one that has the most steam to kind of go into like your Criterion collections, you're living on HBO forever, that kind of thing. Everyone's second choice is what ends up in the Criterion Yeah, collection. you know, I'm, I'm rather comfortable with that. <laughs> Now, what would happen in Hollywood if just there was complete transparency in terms of the vote totals, uh, you know, every piece of data point you could possibly imagine related to awarding the Oscars? If all of that was just out in the open, what what would the implications of that? Oh, it'd be awesome. We'd get so many page views by posting like Jack Nicholson's ballot. Like, but like, how would it actually change the nature of? Hollywood and some of the kind of problems that we're referring to or just some of this, this notion that it's this very insular clicky thing. I think it's very interesting um, that the campaigning is not really super talked about, but it's such a core element of the thing. And if I think that if you were to make that those campaigns much more naked, like you actually reflect it like it's an actual political election. So then, you would say like you have to tell us how many screeners you sent or how many times you went to like this person's door and, and yeah I, i'm not saying that we need an fec for hollywood although that would be fascinating that would be really that fascinating. Would be absolutely fascinating um in kind donations in the form of champagne right. uh, but yeah no it would be a uh, it would be interesting but i think w they don't want it they don't want it to be a horse race even though it is a horse race they don't want it to be that they want it to be like this is an iconic winner this is just chosen by the folks who are most in the know they want it to be kind of somewhat more elevated than a mere vote right but what we don't really have is we don't have good statistics on how much folks are investing in films to get them nominated. The idea is why wasn't Straight Outta Compton nominated for Best Picture? Well, on one hand, perhaps the predominantly white voters didn't want it to be. But on the other hand, you got to look at the studio and see how much they were investing in getting folks to vote for that. So I think shining more light on the campaign could be very, very interesting when it comes to both like increasing the diversity that we see at the Oscars putting pressure on, on folks in Hollywood to exert more effort to getting diversity both on screen and off. Uh, and, and I don't know. I think that that would be a good thing. Okay. We promised people a debate. Yeah. The central question is, can you predict the Oscars using math? Yeah. Who are our two debaters? Uh, so we've got Jeff Snyder. He's a writer at The Wrap. It's an industry uh, publication online. In the past, he's gone with his gut when it comes to predicting the Oscars. He's very skeptical of the ability for uh, data to predict these awards, especially given his experience when it comes to reporting on the industry. Either way, he's he's, he's the skeptic. On the other side, we've got Ben Zosmer. Uh, ben Zosmer's used data and statistics to predict the Oscars. 
in the past has correctly predicted at least 75% correct in, in the five years that he's done it. So this is a guy with a model. This is a guy with a model. This is a guy with a model. He appeared in The Hollywood Reporter and The Boston Globe. Uh, he developed it when he was back at school, and he's been working on it since. Um, right now, he works as a baseball analyst for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, you know, so one of our own minds. Uh, but either way, he's a sincere believer that you can use data uh, to track the Oscars, and I'm going to moderate this. All right. Well, I'm handing the show over to you. I'm Why did you? the microphone i'm yeah. leaving i'm terrified about what's going to happen but you are going to moderate this debate and then we'll be back to debrief afterwards your show is in mediocre hands So thanks again, everyone, for coming out. Uh, we've got Ben Zosmer and we've got Jeff Snyder here. Uh, we are looking to kind of dissect the idea of can you actually predict the Oscars? Um, so we're going to kick it off with a one-minute opening statement from each one. Uh, then I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions. Uh, so some of them are going to be for both of y'all. Some of them are going to be for one of you. Uh, you're going to get a minute to respond. Uh, and then if you don't, then you're going to get a 30-second rebuttal if the other person's tackling the question. Uh, to keep time and keep everything moving, uh, we're going to hear this noise. Uh, at the end, we're going to have a lightning round where we just ask you a bunch of quick questions about the Oscars this year. So to kick us off, uh, Ben, do you want to get going opening statements? Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. To dive right in, my stance, you can predict the Oscars with math. We've got all of this data from previous years, Guild Awards, other awards shows, critic scores, which categories you're nominated in. And we can use all of these things to figure out how important are each of them at predicting each Oscar category, then plug in this year's data, and we've got ourselves a formula. It's not perfect. Math is probably never going to go perfect, but frankly, neither are qualitative predictors. I think at least math can definitely add something to the conversation each year. Uh, go on, Jeff. Okay, great. I'll take it away. So yeah, no, I, I obviously, obviously uh, there's, there's a lot of credibility behind math, and I think that math is an important element to how I formulate my own predictions, but it's not everything. And, and so uh, I saw that, that – um, I wrote Walt in the middle of the night, one of those ill-advised emails that you immediately <laughs> regret, and I was like, there's no way that math can predict the Oscars. There's so many different elements and variables and that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's just instinctual. Uh, you can feel the current almost in the town. I'm a, I'm a you know trade reporter. So, yeah, that, that's where I'm coming from, from, where it's like I'll put my gut up against any formula, so to speak. Ben, what was it that kind of first convinced you that it actually was possible? What, what was the uh, – like was it a success? What is, was it kind of an analysis? What convinced you that not only can you kind of predict the Oscars, but you found the way to do it? Well, the very first year I did this, it was the 2011 movies in early 2012 Oscars. And uh, the big mystery category that year, as you may recall, was Best Actress. You had Meryl Streep for The Iron Lady. You had Viola Davis for The Help. And it was about 50-50 among the experts, maybe a slight consensus leaning towards Davis. Uh, the math was almost exactly tied, but a very slight, less than 1% lead for Meryl Streep. And so I'd never done this before. I spent the entire night completely nervous as I had all of these internet commentators telling me I was crazy uh, and my heart pounding and pounding. And finally, we get to Best Actress, and it turns out it's Meryl Streep. Now, as you at 538 know, a sample size of one category certainly does not prove the Oscars can be predicted with math. But that was the first moment where I really thought, maybe, just maybe, I'm onto something. 
All right, and uh, to kind of go to Jeff real quick, what was it that kind of convinced you that this wasn't in the cards? What makes you skeptical about this? Well, I mean, there's things like, you know, if um, if Ben put together like a list of, of the acting categories, uh, the acting nominees in one category and someone has a 40% chance and a 30% chance and the other three people who maybe aren't really in the running each have like a 5% chance, it's, it's stuff like that where I think math is thrown off a little bit because realistically – two or three of those nominees have 0% chance. I mean, yes, it's possible that in some universe th- they could win, but in all likelihood it's really between one or two people. So you have all these sort of percentage points that are just hanging out there that I think will ultimately go to one of the, you know, le- one, or, one or two leading uh, candidates. Uh, again, some of it, um, yeah, okay. Oh, well, I mean, you can kind of keep going a little bit after that. You know the rules. No, I, I just think... Um, <laughs> this is harsh. Th- th- there are things... You know, pro- projected winners, predicted winners, and things like that that don't always pan out. And so I feel like, you know, th- there's something beyond math uh, that, that you have to take into account when predicting the Oscars. All right. Well, so question for you, Jeff. What is it about the process that can't be captured? What is that thing that you're talking about that, that is going to be the one well, that puts you over like, the he, edge? He, okay. So here's an interesting thing, and I, and I sort of uh, read about this a little bit um, on Ann Thompson's site recently. But the big short won the PGA. You know, the PGA is like – that's the big thing. Usually the PGA lines up with Oscar. But maybe this year the PGA, P, the voters, they just didn't think that The Revenant was a well-produced movie. It went super over budget. There was a ton of issues. Um, maybe that's why it didn't win the PGA. But looking at it, I think just objectively, The Revenant is a much better film than The Big Short, uh, which is actually my least favorite of all the uh, Best Picture nominees. So it, it's things like that. Um, and, and again, when you're, when you're voting for the Oscars, it's different than vote. And I voted for the Oscars. It's different than voting for the PGA or another award. Your response, Ben? The Producers Guild is a good example of a predictor that is usually right, not always. You know, you look at the many successes, then you look at they picked Little Miss Sunshine over The Departed. They had a tie in 2013, uh, a rare tie between Gravity and 12 Years a Slave. And so what the math says, it looks at that and it says, well, Producers Guild, you're pretty good at producing Best Picture. We're going to put a heavy amount of weight on you. We're not going to say a Producers Guild win is a guarantee because sometimes it's wrong. And so it gives some weight to the Producers Guild, but then it also gives weight to the Directors Guild and BAFTAs who did, in fact, pick Revenant. It sounds like you're kind of getting into the mechanics of of how your model works or or models kind of work in general. Uh, I guess I'm kind of wondering how does – like how open – do you think that folks should be about it? I think one of the sources of skepticism of some of the models might be that a lot of them are black boxes. If you look at like the Bing model, for instance, they're not telling you how they got there. Uh, what do you think about the necessity of openness when it comes to talking about how these work? It's definitely very important. It's an important thing, especially because it makes people uh, sort of trust it a little bit more. If you can come out and say, here's what I'm doing, here's the variables that I'm using, and here's the general process I take, I think that's something that adds a lot to it to a certain extent. When you start talking about uh, regression and Bayesian principles, I think you can sort of start to lose some people, and it makes for terrible writing. So there's a balance there. So then I got a question for actually both of y'all. Um, so what does a successful Oscar prediction actually look like? Uh, I know like we talk about like how many uh, categories a model will get correctly. We talk about uh, when it comes to predictors, like whether they're critics or anything like that. It's always kind of like W's and L's when it comes to the, the actual models. So I guess... Uh, Jeff, you've been doing this a while. How, what do you, how do you gauge somebody who picked Oscars well in a given year? It's interesting. So, yes, yeah, some, some years are trickier than others, and obviously this year is, um, at least in the best picture category, it, it's, it's kind of wide open. Um, but I think and you have to get at least 
82%, I would say. Anything other than that, it was not a great year. Um, and, and there's so few categories. That means you can only get, you know, three three wrong, three or four wrong. But, um, yeah, I think I think you should be trying to get at least 80% every year. That would make it a success in my book. But, really, you need to get best picture. That's mandatory every year. Yeah, I mean, it's like I don't think that you could say you had a successful year predicting the Oscars if you got the big, the big, you know, award wrong. Same question to you, Ben. Yeah, that's that's a fair standard. I think my dream come true that would make my work so much easier is if they were to release vote totals, uh, yes. and then especially with a mathematical formula, but also with a non-mathematical formula, you could be a lot closer to knowing. Uh, how well did this person really do? Did their incorrect pick come in second or did it come in last in that category? That would tell us a lot. It would make my models better. It would make Jeff's picks better. Since they don't do that, you really have no way of judging other than just looking at the total number of wins. It's not perfect, but it's the best we've got. And I, I agree with Ben. Like I wish that the Academy would release vote totals. Uh, it, it would be interesting to see how close some of these races were, but I understand why they don't do that. Yeah? Why, why, do you, why don't you think they do that? Uh, I mean, because ultimately it's not about how close you came. It's about, you know, the, a winner and a loser. I, I, don't think, um, I don't think Hollywood even wants to know how close they came <laughs> on some of these things. Be- because I can't imagine how many people would be fired for just the wrong slip of the tongue or, you know, any little perceived slight um, would be th- that much more blown out of proportion if it was like a one or two vote loss. All right, so so uh, getting to kind of the end here, I guess uh, I guess I'm kind of wondering for each of y'all, what kind of evidence would it take for you to kind of change your mind on this? Uh, like, like, so Ben, what would it, what kind of either like a, a whiff or or things like that would it kind of take you to convince that it's not possible to actually consistently and coherently predict the Oscars? And Jeff, like, how, what would it take for you to kind of actually be won over by this? Uh, let's do Ben first. For me, it would have to be a series of categories where. All of the stuff that you think can't be incorporated into math, uh, who doesn't like whom, who sent out more screeners, interpersonal relationships, uh, when uh, Rampling said something controversial recently. If all of that stuff that people say, oh, you can't incorporate that into math, if there comes a day where you really can't, meaning it doesn't actually affect the predictors, it doesn't affect the BAFTAs or the Guild Awards, all it affects are the Oscars, because that's where the predictors and the Oscars become separated, and that's where math starts to go out the window. So same question, Jeff. Yeah, I, I think it would take a lot for me to, to jump over, you know, over the fence to, to believing in the numbers and stuff. It's, you know, it's like the old lost thing, where it's like man of science, man of faith. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm just a man of faith, I suppose, who, who hopes that the Academy will do the right thing, vote for the right movie. You want to vote for a Best Picture winner that's going to have a certain timeless quality, uh, which is funny because all these movies are now so focused on telling us why they're important right now. Um, I, I think a sense of history kind of gets lost in it. So it would take um, it would take Ben being right a hundred percent, like two or three years in a row, for me to come around. I think on on a formula. You give me a tall order. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to move on to the lightning round. Uh, in the lightning round, I'm just going to ask you a very quick question, one-word answer kind of thing, and uh, you both are just going to kind of chime in. Uh, who wants to answer first? I will. All right, cool. Go for it. Uh, anti-alphabetically fun. Um, all right, so <laughs> first up, uh, what movie should Leonardo DiCaprio have won for? Uh, the Aviator. The Aviator. Wolf of Wall Street. You are stuck on Mars for an indeterminate period of time. What do you bring? An iPod. 
the hab that kept Matt Damon alive. All right, well, 2007 called iPods are useless. Come on, man. Uh, number three, how long until we get another mediocre Steve Jobs movie? Um, I, I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be like 40 years. Uh, at least. Uh, I'll call it 100. <laughs> this is the key one. Which movie have you been pretending that you saw when you talk about the Oscars? Um, this year, I guess, I guess I've been pretty open in, in declaring that I haven't seen it, but I guess it would have to be 45 years, uh, trying to talk about Charlotte Rampling and, and, you know, that performance when I, yeah, I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> That's a funny one. I don't know about pretending, uh, but I have yet to see Amy, even as I go around saying it's clearly going to win best documentary. <laughs> yeah, it's a good answer. <laughs> Me too. All right. Uh, other than Leonardo DiCaprio, who uh, deserves to win an Oscar? Oh boy. <laughs> um, uh, that's that's really hard. Jesus. Yeah. Um, I, I I think uh, I think R Tom Cruise. There you go. All right. Well, this this one might not sit well with some. I got to go with the boy from Room. Hey. <laughs> All right. J Jacob Tremblay. I thought he was fantastic. And last one. Who's gonna win Best Picture this year? I think it's gonna be The Revenant. Right. The math has The Revenant a little bit ahead of Spotlight with the Big Short and third. After all that, you both agree. Awesome. Uh, both of you, thank you so much for your time. This was a ton of fun. Really appreciate your having me on. Yeah, no, th thank you, Walt, and, and good luck, Ben, with, uh, with your predictions. <laughs> thank you. You as well. Okay, well, I'm back. Yeah. Nice debate. They do this at the presidential debates where, like, the moderators are up there and they're, like, completely straight-faced <laughs> and they're, like, very impartial. And then as soon as the debate's over, they come back and they debrief and, like, totally take sides oh, yeah. and, like, break the fiction that they are, you know, right down the middle. So let's do that right now, which is who do you think won that debate? Good question. Um, so I, I actually for, – for a person who – predicts the Oscars using math. I actually am like pretty like down the middle on this. They both make a lot of really good points. Jeff, I think makes the one that's most compelling to me about it is uh, is the idea that you that it's increasingly becoming that you can't control for everything that goes into it that the producers guild for instance was throwing shade at the at the revenant because it was a poorly produced film and that's not something that we really think about uh, a lot of the models that we kind of have are are like kind of agnostic models they don't really kind of look at what's going on actively in the course of the race they don't look at these narratives that are happening and so they kind of go in, they're running pretty much blind was uh, it jeff who referred to the fact that like screeners are being sent around and whisper campaigns and all of these things that actually are, I guess, pretty hard to try and quantify. That was actually right? bad oh, when we ben asked them, like, what? Up, yeah, right? like, and I, I think that that's like, it's really cool that they're kind of both being very honest about, like. Yes, I enjoyed that they were both willing to engage. Yeah. yeah. No, good folks. I'm really glad that they came on. Um, one thing, though, I was thinking about when I heard Ben, who was, who was talking about the, the, you know, his modeling, and he referenced the sort of like the insular nature of Hollywood. And I actually, I'm still not sure whether that cuts, which way exactly that cuts. Because yeah. on the one hand, you say, okay, it's very insular and Hollywood's very small. And so it's hard to get inside it and find, you know, reliable, consistent data. But on the other hand, it's like a closed ecosystem. Yeah. And you can see the same sort of pattern plays out every year, right? Yeah. Uh, you see that like, the award shows cascade after each other. So by the time you get to the Oscars, you have all these previous data points. So I'm just wondering what you think in terms of like, does the insularity actually make it easier or harder to 
model something like this? I think it makes it easier to model consistently, but it makes it harder to kind of model, right? So the idea is if you kind of look at – like a good example is if you look at election results in the early part of America, whenever they add states, it's kind of like, well, we don't really know what's going to happen that well. But once you have a consistent set of states, it's not any easier to model or easier to get inside folks' heads, but you kind of know where you're working from, right? So I think it, it, it's very convenient that we only have to deal with the opinions of 7,000 people, give or take. I don't think it makes it any easier because, like you were saying, it's an insular nature. And whether or not that's worth kind of preserving uh, is absolutely a big question when it comes to bringing new folks into the fold. All right. We promised people that we would talk about our model. We would talk about what your predictions yeah. uh, as they get ready for Sunday's show. So what are the variables that you have come to trust the most? What is the model you have in your head that you feel is the most reliable? And then what is that model telling you about this year? Yeah. So we, we kind of approach the Oscars prediction from the idea that we can't poll them. And so there goes the main thing that 530 is good at, like analyzing polls. We can't poll the folks who vote on the Academy. What we can do is we can look at stuff that people also vote on. The idea is that if you're a director who's in the Academy of Motion Pictures of America, all that kind of thing, you're also probably in the DGA, the Director's Guild of America. So if we look at how the DGA votes on director, we'll be able to get an idea of how those directors are also going to vote in the Oscars. So using that kind of intuition, we can figure out what's the success rate over time. Like how much more predictive is the Producers Guild than, say, um, the, the Critics' Choice Awards than, say, the DGA. And so what we can do then is we can assign a score to each one. And then if a film wins that award, then we give them points. And then we can kind of look at what the state of the race is. We're not really at the point where we can confidently say this is going to be our winner. Uh, but we are at the point where we, where we can kind of coherently talk about how that's changed over the course of the past two months. Which of those prior award ceremonies have you found to be the most reliable? So it actually depends very much on the award. If you're looking at the acting categories, it's going to be the Screen Actors Guild Award. If you're looking at the directing categories, it's going to be the DGA. If you're looking at the uh, Best Picture Award, it's kind of a combination of all of them. The DGA is most predictive, followed by, uh, I believe, the SAG Award, the BAFTAs. Um, the Producers Guild is absolutely nothing to sniff at. Uh, so it's it's uh, you look at the Guild Awards, they tend to have the, the largest composition of it, but there are some of the press awards that are relatively coherent. Golden Globes, not really. Really? Um, yeah, no, you'd be surprised uh, that the, uh, like, what, what is surprised. it, the Foreign Press Association is, right. doesn't have its, like, needle on the pulse of what's going through <laughs> Spielberg's head? This is actually so, there's such a parallel to what happens in the political yeah. spectrum as well, where you have, you know, the early states like New Hampshire and Iowa are, on the one hand, they're part of the vetting process and they're part of, you know, people are voting. And so that there's, you know, it's important in that regard, but it's also very important in terms of, you know, momentum and setting expectations and all those other things. And it seems like these early awards are both indicators, but also end up being variables themselves because then they influence later voters. Yeah, like the guy who wins New Hampshire every year isn't always going to be president, but a lot of the time he is. And so I think it's it's got a lot of DNA shared, I'd say, with our endorsement track. But I'm saying are Oscar voters looking at the winners of those other ones and then potentially changing their vote accordingly? What's the timing so of the there's, vote like? There's that. So the timing of the vote is that voting started two weeks before the Oscars. So the people are absolutely watching these awards. They're in attendance at the awards, but more importantly, they're voting on the awards. And while we can't necessarily get our finger on the pulse of exactly how the campaigns are going, the outcomes of those votes, we think, might have something to do with these. It's been pretty consistent in the past. Last year, we got five out of six. We missed Best Director, but we knew going into Best Director, it was the tightest race in a very long time.
All right, so what's this year's outlook look like? Yeah, um, Best Picture is a nightmare. I, I am dying inside. It's horrible. Uh, basically, we've got The Revenant in the lead right now after a huge win at both the BAFTAs and the DGA, two very predictable So it was awards. not in the lead and then it moved up? No, it, it totally snuck in. Yeah, so The Big Short won at the Producers Guild, mm-hmm. a very highly predictive award. Um, Spotlight won at the SAG Awards, a very highly predictive award. And then out of nowhere, like... Just from like mad below Mad Max levels, emerging shiny and chrome was the Revenant, and so or covered that, in soot and dirt yeah, covered in soot and, and, and a bare skin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, I don't know if you've seen the film. It's the story of how Leonardo DiCaprio got a new fur coat, but he's not sure about the consequences. It's a great movie. You should absolutely hit it in theaters. Uh, it looks gorgeous, but again, not maybe the best produced film of all uh, of them. They went way over budget and, and got stuck in snows. So uh, either way, but that, that's in the lead right now. That's in the lead, but again, Spotlight and uh, and The Big Short are hot on its heels. I would say Spotlight is probably uh, more favored, again, on that one. All right. And what about the other categories? Best Director, Inyari 2 Shuin. For? For The Revenant. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. Um, he, he, back-to-back wins would be huge. Uh, that That's only happened two or three times in the history of the awards, uh, so it'll be fascinating. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, slam dunk. This is a coronation. Uh, Brie Larson as well for Best Actress. We're looking at that. When it comes to Best Supporting Actress, we've got Alicia Vikander for The Danish Girl in the lead. Behind her, though, is Kate Winslet, and she's had some late buzz. Uh, essentially, if you look at um, what the most recent awards have been, it's looking like Winslet. But uh, again, Vikander has a really solid lead here. Well, I have to ask a question that I've asked a number of guests on this show, which is like people who are deep in the analytics side of yeah. a, of a particular world. Like you still like really like movies, right? Oh, I hate movies. They're now. not just data They're the sets. Worst. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I got the chance to see all. I mean, the like, movies. what was your favorite movie? This Spotlight. Year? Spotlight was awesome. Well, actually, so Spotlight just devastated me. It was it was a great movie. Mark Ruffalo was fascinating in it. Michael Keaton was great in it. Uh, it, it was it was an emotional roller coaster, and, and it just devastated me. But I'd say that my favorite film of the year was probably Mad Max because I had no idea what I was walking into. I'd never seen a Mad Max film before and it was like I don't know. It, it was absurd. It was like huffing glue for two hours. It was, it was it was incredible. It was shiny and chrome and exploding and guitars and it was metal as all hell. Uh, I, I'm shocked that it got nominated for an Oscar. I am so happy though. That movie was, was rad. I didn't really like it but that's for another time. Walt Hickey, thank you very much and good luck and this has been like this has been your world and people should go explore all the amazing reporting you've done on it and where are you going to where are you going to be watching the Oscars from? Um, I believe here. I think we're going to have a post updating the whole time. I know that uh, ABC is airing them uh, and we are through the corporate transitive property uh, siblings with them. So I, I might be on ABC doing a little bit before or after cool. any kind of live stream stuff. So I want to be near the studio. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Everyone should check it out. It's the 28th at like 8 p.m. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to do the plug. I don't well, have to do the plug. <laughs> well, Hickey, thank you very much and happy Oscar season. Thank you for having me on. Be sure to check out Walt's extremely comprehensive Oscars coverage on the site. Right now, you'll have plenty of stats to bring to your party on Sunday. And thanks again to Ben Salzmer and Jeff Snyder of The Wrap for taking part in our little debate. What's the Point's editor is Chadwick Matlin. Our video producer is Ryan Nantel. Our intern is Jonathan Yales. Special thanks this week to George Lavender and Janice Yamoka. Joel Werner helped mix and produce this episode. My name is Jody Avergan. You can email me at podcasts at 538.com or find me on Twitter or Facebook. Keep reaching out with ideas for future shows or any comments about how the show is going. Our music is by Rishikesh Hirway, host of the Song Exploder podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe to What's the Point in iTunes or your favorite podcast client and give us a rating and a review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the better we do in the rankings. And the rankings matter not just for our ego, but because that's how a lot of people discover the show. So if you want to help someone discover the show, you can tell someone, but also leave us a rating or a review in iTunes. Also, be sure to listen to 538's other shows, our weekly elections podcast, and our sports show, Hot Takedown, by going to 538.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you soon.